Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, everybody. What a day. And what a what a tragedy. Robin Williams. Gone. Gone. Crazy, crazy Robin Williams. I loved seeing anybody inter- interviewing Robin Williams. Oh, any 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 late night talk show he was on, and, he just took over. Oh, I loved it. Just to see yes. this creative energy and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't control it. I don't know that he could control no. it. No. Which is part of what I want to talk about for our headlines. Today. I mean, it's it's a hard story, but we actually heard about the story as we ended our show yesterday. Yeah. And Oh, it's so hard because there's this incredible balance between the genius, right, mm-hmm. and the depression or the anxiety that a lot of these have or the ADHD mm-hmm. that a lot. And so notice all these creative people also tend to suffer, not all of them, but a lot of them that we're hearing in the news that are dying and are having drug addictions they're also they also have other issues, other mental disorders, learning disabilities, other issues that they're battling, yeah. which is part of their genius. Exactly. But uh, this one hit hard though. Oh yeah. This was hard. Pe- people are emotionally frustrated by this. Yeah. This cuz again didn't didn't expect it. Didn't expect it and maybe we could have all helped, you know, and kept yeah. this incredible mm-hmm. gem on the earth that that is the there's the plague of depression exactly right there well but now robin williams over the many years that i saw him on tv in movies in comedy shows um one of the one of the big things i remember was he did um oh now i cannot why i cannot remember the name of it i don't know but there was a, there was all hbo always had a big um like comedy special yeah uh, comedy relief, yeah, or comic relief, yeah, comic relief. It was for it was for housing for you know for the hurricane victims, wasn't it? Well, it, it, different years it was yeah. different. They would send it to different people to, you know, to help with housing in different areas. But this, you know, he Whoopi Goldberg and Billy Crystal oh. always kind of headed up the yeah. the show. He always and he had would come big out charity, and do big heart, yeah, and he would come out and do these riffs and and just be funny, and it was it was fantastic. But oh yeah. I, in in any of the stuff that he did, he would always talk about his personal life. Yeah, he would talk about depression. He would talk about uh, drug addiction. Yeah, and when you combine those two, I mean, you're the doctor. Yeah. What, what do you get? Well, so think about that again. About five to six percent of people in the United States suffer depression annually. Okay. So, but those that you know suffer it in their lifetime and, and have it coming up is probably fifteen percent of the population, twenty percent of the population. What about a severe depression, though? Like, so, so, like he always talked about. Well, no, no, so think of that. So he, it can come on in a variety of ways, right? So clinically, so he may have had it genetically. His family had mm-hmm. it. His mom had it. His grandma had it. It was kind of handed down. It was part of his life. It then impacted his biology. His brain didn't make the right chemistry or enough chemistry, enough serotonin to balance certain things. Okay. Then he also had an addiction, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about the addiction, the addiction's probably just a uh, 
natural way as humans we use to just medicate our own problems. So if we have depression, certain addictions that might, you know, give us an up, something that might okay. pick us up, give us a little, you know, step, a little kick in our step or whatever. A step away from life, so to speak. Uh-huh. So someone would want to escape. And so those especially that feel more anxiety might want to go escape and have a, some drug that brings them down. Mm-hmm. Some that are down and depressed might want some type of upper, something that picks them up and makes them feel more stimulated and more able to deal with life. Um, and so all of a sudden, a lot of people with mental health issues would then start self-medicating. So if you go to the prison, and I, I get to go to prison every and, and have a great, honestly, some of my best lessons and and classes that I teach are in the Utah State Prison where we're talking to like people that are in there for drugs and drug addictions. And invariably, almost every one of them are in there because of a mental health issue. So depression, gone awry, anxiety, gone awry, ADHD, never dealt with. Mm -hmm. And they're now becoming addicted to other drugs and then they're stealing and creating crimes. So they kind of go down. So that's so addictions can kind of start to exacerbate depressions. And then another thing he went through is he also had health issues. He had heart surgery a few right. a little while ago, and a lot of times, whether you have cancer or heart issues or a lot of medical issues, can actually increase your depression. So about a third of the sure. people with a, with some kind of physical element like that will also have it. So it just compounds. And yet, here's the deal: we sit here and we still, if you look at all of the main headlines, who what was the the actor's name from Capote? Oh, uh, yes, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay, Phillips, do you remember that? Great actor. Are you kidding? We lost this incredible gem. We lose a Robin Williams. Uh, Again, we lose, think of all the major shootings. Think of all the school shootings. Mm -hmm. These are all mental health issues, and yet we're still not really addressing it or even talking about them yet. Yeah. So, folks, depression's real. Let me just blow up a few myths for you, okay? Depression... um, I, you you tell me what you think. Being sad leads to depression. I wouldn't Myth think or so. Truth. No myth. Sadness can happen to anyone. Yeah, it can't. It, it's it could cause depression. Being sad, so a situation where you lost your mom that could kind of pull you down into that. But also, anger is probably a better driver of getting depressed as well. So hmm. you know, feeling angry, feeling uh, incapable of handling certain things in your life could also cause it. It's not just a cause effect, it's just more of a sign. But is it a physiological or is it a, a mental? It's you know, that's or what's both. It, we'll think about that. So sometimes we can deal with depression cognitively by just getting us to change our thinking. Uh-huh. And sometimes we we have bad chemistry. Yeah. So the chemistry actually creates and generates certain thinking. Okay. And you know, think about it. If you're down, it's easier to think down bad thoughts. And if you're up, it's easier to think or feel better. But here's the dilemma. A real clinical severe depression like his was probably, and he was going through rehab, he was was fighting his demons, and I'm sure it just started to keep kind of falling back on him, falling back Mm -hmm. on him. He just kept digging a deeper hole. Here's another myth. Um, Here's a myth. If you aren't sad, you're not depressed. Not true, no. Sadness and depression don't always have to go together. No. You could have other signs, though, like you feel tired, you feel exhausted, you can't sleep, you can't think, mm-hmm. you can't focus. It can oh, physically drag you down, too, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just so, so notice, that you don't want to get out of bed, uh-huh. you don't want to You don't want to do anything, mm-hmm. you don't want to deal with people. So if that's a sign, if you see somebody in your life that's down in that hole, 
as as friends and neighbors, we've got to go in and start reaching in the hole and seeing yeah. if we can't pull people out. That's the hard thing about this. I'm sure the family tried stuff. There's only so much you can do once somebody's really depressed. A um, couple of others. Uh, only women get depressed. No, that's not true. Not true. <laughs> Robin Williams not was not a woman. Exactly. Although he did play one in a movie. Yeah. In fact, they both would have been depressed then. And so it's a, it's not just a male-female thing, but women tend to you know suffer more depression than men. But it doesn't mean it's only a, a male or a female thing. It's not just PMS, by the way. If your wife's depressed, <laughs> don't just think it's PMS, for heaven's sakes. A lot of people believe depression is untreatable. No. 80 to 90% of the people that have major depression are successfully treated. Good. And a lot of people question that, you, so you have to take antidepressants. Taking drugs and antidepressants are not the only way to be able to take care of this. There's therapy. You have to analyze it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got to get in to think how you're thinking. Yeah. And oh, it's just tragic. So I guess it, we need a lesson here because, folks, everybody knows somebody that's depressed. And we... We've got to do stuff. We've got to start talking about it. We've got to make it easier for somebody to have depression. And Robin Williams, what was, I think, brilliant about him is he could joke about it. He could laugh about it. He could. And he talked about it. Um, So maybe in memory of Robin Williams, let's all start being more accepting. Let's start talking more openly about mental health issues. We need more people like Robin. We need people to not just quietly pass away. We need people to kind of verbally confront their issue in front right. of all of us yes, so that we can learn as a society how to comfort those that stand in need of comfort. Ah, oh, tragic. Again, a gem lost. Yeah. Sad stuff. Folks, today's show, though, we're going we're gonna to move not too far off of this, though. Uh, troubled teens. If you have a child out there, a teenager that's struggling, that's falling into problems... Or we're going to talk more about Robin Williams later in the show. And if you have a favorite Robin Williams moment, call in and give it to us. Yes. 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-242-8298, or send us a tweet at BYU Radio. We're also going to be covering troubled teens, you know, how to know and how to keep your teen out of trouble, what to do if they're falling into it. Dr. Steve Barr from BYU Department of Sociology is going to be joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Here again, remember, to help you find the good in life. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, today we are taking on your troubled teen. So if you have a troubled teen, if you have a friend that does, a grandchild, this is the show we need you to be paying attention to. Remember, the goal on this show is to help you get the tools you need to make the decisions you need. Everybody, and we saw it, oh, it's just so tragic to me. We saw it with Robin Williams There's just a lot of stuff in life that people are dealing with, and a lot of people are dealing with depression like Robin Williams, and a lot of people right now also, I believe, are out there dealing with their teens. They may even see see depression and other things going on in their teens. Um, So we want to give you some tools, some skills, and we thought, who better to do that than Dr. Steve Barr? He is a professor of sociology uh, here at Brigham Young University. He received his Ph.D. um, from Washington State University in 1972. Since then, his research interests have been in prisoner reentry, 
you know, getting them back into the world, I guess, in, in, right. in a healthy way. Adolescent drug use, marital dissolution. He is an award winner here on the campus at Brigham Young of the John A. Whitstow Fellowship in 2007. Again, American Society of Criminology affiliation. He's also affiliated with the American Sociological Association. He's a he's very experienced. By the way, forty years he's been at BYU. That's a big deal, Doctor Barr. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. It really. I mean, forty years is a big deal. Did you get a watch? Did they give you a BYU watch? Well, I haven't retired yet. <laughs> oh, you get the watch when you retire. <laughs> yeah. They just probably. What did they give you for forty years? What do you get a guy? You probably just need a raise. I'd take that. Yeah. I just said it on the radio. So you'll probably get it. <laughs> no, you won't. Hey, um, Dr. Bart, teach us about kids because it seems like troubled teens, it almost doesn't matter. A lot of parents think their kids are troubled just because they're teens, just because they're turning into those kind of snarky little teens with attitudes. But that's different than the troubled teens you studied, right? Yes. What's the difference? Well, let me say first that every... Um Everybody and every teen has their struggles and their challenges and so on, so I think it's a matter of degree. Yeah. So we all face face that with teens. I guess the difference is some of them, uh, because of, well, it's pretty complex, a variety of things. Act, You know, they don't go to school, they get in, in fights, and especially they take drugs. Yeah to kind of escape uh, or for curiosity. So We were talking about that with Robin Williams, that— you know, a lot of times you have anxiety, depression, some mental health issue. Then you end up medicating. So you use some drug to kind of medicate the depression and get you out of it or to, you know, get you out of your anxiety, your fears, your worries, or your ADHD you might stimulate with some mm-hmm. other amphetamine or something. Um, is that is that what you see then is some of the trouble is just has a more basic root than, than just being rebellious? Yes, yeah, I think there's no question that there are quite a few uh, mental health issues uh, that are undiagnosed or undealt with. Yeah. And drugs are so prevalent, uh, it's very easier to use uh, through friends to try them out at a party or wherever uh, out of curiosity. But oftentimes, as you say, there is an underlying uh, stress, concern, mm-hmm. depression that underlies that. I, I When I go work at the Utah State Prison and just do some speeches there, I— and some teaching, I, I noticed that, you know, kind of on the wealthier side of the valley in Salt Lake City, uh, if, it's, if a person has ADHD, attention deficit disorder, they'll just go to the doctor and get some prescription. And on other sides of the valley, instead, they, they may not get that attention to their attention deficit disorder. And then all of a sudden they're taking meth. Mm-hmm. And Interestingly, both are amphetamines, right? And one's prescribed by a doctor whose diligent parents got him in and got him medicated that way, and others are practicing with street drugs, and then they get in the system. And so, is it is is it parenting? Is it how do we combat these? It's it's not always fair, and it's not always balanced. But how do we deal with a troubled teen? What are the things as parents we should be looking for? Uh, looking forward to identify them yeah. or to, I mean, you know, I guess as you think about it, there's a lot of, um, uh, well, I think first of all, you have to be aware of your teen. I think oftentimes so much of our relationship with teens is don't do this. Why yeah. are you doing this? Yeah. Kind of rather than taking the time to, to talk to them uh-huh. and listen and observe them. Yeah. 
Uh, and so we want to direct them the right way. We say, have you done this? Have you done your homework? Are you going to church? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Uh, do we really take the time to listen to them, to talk to them, mm-hmm. to provide support? And I know with some of the delinquent teens, they would, they would work with the parents just to identify, have the parents identify a couple of positive things that they could reward their kids that day. Yeah. Because the whole relationship was, why are you doing this? Yeah. Don't do this. That's a great tool. So as a parent, you could be out there constantly reinforcing the positives you yes. see. And if you could yeah. see two a day, that's a pretty good thing. Oh, yeah. Versus you can easily see the two things you don't like. Right. Why is your room still a mess? Yeah. Why didn't you do the jobs I asked you to do? One time when my oldest child was uh, uh, younger, I said to my wife, you know, he, you know, contradicts everything we say. Everything I say, he says, no way, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And one week I was taking a class and I just sat back and kind of observed my wife and I during that week. And the truth was about 80% of the time when we asked him to do stuff, he did it. Yeah. And I just, in my mind, was fixated on that 20% of the time when he said, no way, I'm not doing that. Well, it's probably because that made your energy go up. Like that's where all of a sudden, oh, focus on that. That's that's bad. We got to fix that 20%. But it's interesting. It even skewed the data of the professor. Even the professor was seeing. That's "Hmm." right. But we all do that, don't we? Oh, yeah, we all do that, yeah. That's kind of, I guess, just our selection of what we're measuring. Right. Is it, so what else would tell us our kids are in trouble? I mean, is is behavior, I mean, it seems like part of being a kid is being independent. So they're going to exert their little bit of freedoms that they have. Right, and that's part of the natural process. That's normal. Becoming more autonomous and independent from the parents. How do I know when they're just being a punk and exerting their own little uh, autonomy Versus when I really need to be worried. Well, I don't know that you can tell. You can't. I think you have to just be diligent and observe. Yep. Uh, give them appropriate rewards. Perhaps uh, I think the key thing is spending some time with them, listening to them, talking to them, so you're kind of aware and you can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part I guess you're saying just know them. Yes. You got to know. know your kid. Right. And I, and if you're worried, I guess pay attention to that. That's right. probably telling right. you something. Right. But two, I mean, there's, uh, you know, it's one thing to have them not clean their room today, but they clean it a lot of times. And I guess it's another thing to come home four hours after curfew. Right. Yeah. Right. Or do something, you know, or I guess when grades are dropping. Right. When they're sloughing a lot Grades more. are dropping, they're sloughing a lot. Some major series are, of major yeah, those are bring, like that. It seems like that's breaking some pretty big mores, yeah. standards yeah. that we live. Do you think cell phones are a problem? Um, I think cell phones are a tool that can be a problem. Yeah. Uh, in some of the research I'm doing, we are actually using cell phones as a tool to help kids mm-hmm. and help treat them. So I think they can be a wonderful tool. Yeah. But in that, of course, you know, I guess there's three things that I've noticed. Uh, one is uh, cell phones can access pornography. Yeah. You can use cell phones to set up drug deals and make contact with the wrong type of yeah. people. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I see people just walking around on their cell phone. I wonder if, and I don't have any hard data on this, if uh, they don't learn how to relate to people. Right. They just learn how to, to, to text the, and yeah, so on. I think And they right. don't know how to relate to people on a one-on-one basis. Enough. And maybe they're medicating because there's also games. So you can go, they can go online and their problem may not be drugs, but they could be easily medicating with pornography. Oh, yes. Or medicating with you know, the games that they're playing right. or just escape from reality. Right. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's probably a weird, having studied this for 40 years, you saw, so you can remember what the problems with teens were 40 years ago. Right. Like what? Truancy. 
Oh yeah, gun truancy, shooting, <laughs> alcohol, yeah. guns, yeah, uh, and drugs are more prevalent now. Yeah. Cell phones and pornography. Right. I yeah. mean, back when you started forty years ago, marijuana was the drug. They were yes, smoking yes. pot. Yeah. Now they just got to go to a few states and get it legally over the counter. <laughs> um, let's do this. Uh, well, what, how much more time do we have, James? One minute. Um, do you feel, in the end, uh, that have the teens changed that much? In some ways, but I think basically they haven't. It's I the think same. we still have some of the same problems we had, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Well, and to the degree that the kids may have advanced, so too of their parents, right? I mean, we've, yes. we've grown with them in a way. It's not right. like there's this huge chasm, or is there? Well, is there as big? I don't, I don't know if it's any bigger than no. it was before Just when I really like, look yeah. at it. I mean, we. Drugs are much more prevalent and available now yeah. than they were, and we didn't have cell phones, and right. so there are some new issues we have to deal with. But I think some of the problems of depression and skipping school and you know some of those same basic things are there and yeah. were there before. Well, we're going to come back. We're talking with Dr. Steve Barr, who is a professor here at Brigham Young University in the Department of Sociology. He's teaching us about our teens and what to do, what to watch out for that would tell us, you know, they're in trouble. We might need to pay attention. When we come back, he's going to continue the discussion. We're going to keep talking about what to do when your teen is in trouble, how to approach that, how to figure out how to handle that. More skills, more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show up after this break. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the studio with us today is Dr. Steve Barr. He is a professor of sociology here at Brigham Young University. He's been uh, working here, researching for 40 years. Holy cow, that's a big deal. Uh, and one of his specialties is uh, adolescent drug use and so and teens. And we wanted to talk about teenagers and, and you know, keeping your kids out of trouble We've been talking about that way. By the way, Steve is a father of six children. Wow. Yep, four the, boys and two girls. And they're all alive. Okay. They are. That's half the battle, isn't it? That is. So you obviously it's working. Um, talk about drugs and addiction and prevention. I mean, they're really, it seems like more and more you hear research and studies and almost everything can become addictive now. That's so, true. You know? And it's very easy. And it's so easy. When I did my first survey for the state of Utah, I talked to my kids, and they could point out at school where they could get drugs yeah, here. you knew there. who so the druggies very, were, yeah. right? So it's very, very prevalent, even yeah. even in a place like Utah Valley. So. It's interesting, though. It, it's kind of some of the drugs, they're, they're no longer the, you know, the dirty dirt bags hanging around the weird parts of town. I mean, some drugs now are just... It's just normal. Mm -hmm. Just go get some pot. Right. And how do we make sure our kids don't fall into the traps that would lead them to, you know, drugs and addiction and early use of, you know, anything, I guess, that's helping them not perform? Well, I think it's a, a process. You can, There's not just one or two things you can do and you right. know, it's over with. It's a process that you continually view and observe. Uh and I think it's important uh, that parents are what we call authoritative yeah. 
uh, rather than authoritarian or permissive. I mean, some people think, well, they just love their kids, and that's what they need to do, and they'll be okay. Kids will be kids. And that's great that you love them, but they they need direction too. And the right. research shows that some of the worst kids are those who would get uh, a lot of love and attention but no direction right. and rules. On the other hand, there's the parent who says— you know, my kid's going to do this or else, and they're very military authoritarian. Yeah. And but they don't provide the love and support, and that doesn't work. And I guess when I when you in answer to your question, parents need to remember that they have both. They're mm-hmm. more likely to listen and take direction if they provide a love and support, and, and so you certainly so need that. The words are the words are maybe tri- would trip people up because they the research would say you should be authoritative, right? But not an authoritarian. So authoritative right. mean means, I guess, have a position, right. know what's right for them, have kind of a standard in a way, but be loving and caring and guide them. Right. Authoritarian, the authoritarian would be demanded. One, one time, well, you know, you do, this or, you do this or else. Yeah. And one time as a teenager, I recall, and I don't even remember what it was about, but uh, I wanted to do something my dad didn't want me to do. And he said, Steve, you know, this is how I feel about it. <laughs> You're old enough to decide for yourself, but I don't think you should do this. And he gave me the reasons. I mean, that's more— That's, that's authoritative. Uh, yes, where you set a, a, a thing and you explain why, yeah. but he didn't force me or give me some punishment. He actually gave me the choice. Which is even different than permissive, which is like, whatever. Right. You'll figure it out. Kids right. need barriers. They need boundaries. They need— right. They need to know the, where the game of play is. And I like the term what they call gentle but firm. Uh-huh. Sometimes parents think, you know, they can't be firm and show a lot of love. Right. Uh, and I think the truth is you need to, the combination of being firm on certain principles and negotiate with them, as my dad yeah. did to me. What um, When we start to see that our child is falling into trouble, they're getting—you find drugs in their bag, you— they're staying out later with friends. You can smell alcohol or something, or the police bring them to your door. <laughs> One of these neat, neat scenarios. How do we? Um, what do we do? I mean, how snoopy should we get? Should I? Should I be snooping into their bags? Should I be? And that's. I always have couples in, that come in and their kids are struggling, and they're so they're always so ashamed that they looked in their bag. And I always ask, so did was there a reason? Was there evidence? I mean, were you fearing? Was there concern? Oh yeah. And I'm like, well, did you find something? Oh, yeah. So half the time I think you're getting signs that something's wrong. Right. Follow the lead. So you got to find the evidence, certainly. And I remember in in the Columbine shooting, why didn't the parents know there were guns in that bedroom? Yeah. I mean, I think parents should be aware of what's happening in their house. And you don't have to go in and read their journal and go through their rifle through their stuff. But if they're signs, they're signs. And also, I think it's important to talk to them directly. And and yeah. and even if you disagree with them, understand why they did this and where they're coming from. And then you have a point of departure where you can negotiate you know, some things and some sure. rules with them. What What is it that if you thought of like one thing that the teens need? The, I mean, if the, is there one thing that they just every teen needs, troubled or not? But what does a troubled teen need from their parents? I, I have a hard time pinning it down to one, but I think they really need parents who will listen to them and talk yeah. to them. And I can remember when I wanted to talk to my kids, oftentimes my kids weren't ready. Yeah. But when they would come home at night, sometimes they'd come into the bedroom and they'd want to talk to me then when I was tired. Yeah. And I think it's important to take advantage of when they are available and willing to talk. Take their and cue. And observe and listen, yes. I mean, if they're and coming to you, them. it's they're coming to you. Yes. 
Yeah, and I think there'll be more of those than you think if you don't just schedule it on your time, if you listen and observe them. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's like um, an animal. If you have a dog, I can't get my dog to eat. Well, if the dog keeps coming you, to you to eat, then feed the dog when he comes right. to you. Right. Feed the person. Feed yeah. the baby. Feed the whatever. Um, there's a weird dilemma, it seems like, with parents and their child that's troubled. Because it's like, it's like as a parent, it makes me look bad when my kids are troubled. Right. Here's an example. And there's, this is an example kind of very pertinent to, you know, churches or whatever. But if all of a sudden your son is not living the commandments, he's out there overtly breaking the commandments of God and you're a God-fearing person, then all of a sudden that's a reflection on you. How do we not, as parents, have our egos, our identities get in the way with how we parent? I think all of us do that. Our kids are a reflection of us. But on the other hand, you have to realize that part of growing up is they have to become independent. And I think you have to, in one sense, as a parent, you're being a little self-centered and selfish when you look at it that way. Because you have to realize what's best for this child. Yeah. And there's a lot of influences on that child that are beyond your control. That's right. There may be some genetic things or some mental health issues, yeah. as, as you mentioned, and so on. So, I guess that's important, too, is know your history. If grandma had depression, great-grandma had depression, you're, you're, you have depression, and now you're seeing signs of depression in your child, don't overlook it. Those are, I mean, right. there's going to be, a, there's, all, there's a genetic component to a lot of these issues and disorders, and that might be one of the triggers as to why they're struggling. They're, they're trying to fit in. They're more sensitive to other things. Yeah, I think that's true, that they're, they need to sit back and observe and be aware of the other issues. Yeah. And I think they shouldn't be afraid to get professional help. Not yeah. that the professional can solve all the problems, but that's another uh, help that can be there to help them identify things. Yeah. Have you, um, is there, are there certain mistakes we're making as parents when we're dealing with a teen that's troubled? Are there, are there things that we as parents, other than not talking and communicating well with them, are there other things we're doing that make it worse for the child? Oh, n not spending a ton enough time and doing something that they're interested in. Yeah. I mean, like I have one grandchild who, you know, he's not interested in playing basketball, which I love. But he's interested in skateboarding some other things. Yeah. And I guess if I were to learn a little about skateboarding and maybe watch him do it, that's very different, even though I'm not interested in mm -hmm. that. So I think it's important that we follow some of their interests, especially if there's a healthy interest that they have. Right. And I guess as a parent, I mean, that's an interesting—it seems like um, a grandparent might have an, a different access into a grandchild than a parent would. I mean, I, you, it might be good to use grandparents a little bit more to help— that's true. Connect to these That's kids. true. One time my daughter was having a particular t a tough time with this one grandchild, and uh, she called me, and I went and was able to talk to him. And so sometimes that's true. Yeah. Other people, it could be a grandparent, yeah. it could be a sibling, mm -hmm. it could be somebody at church, uh, it even could be a professional, but yeah. different people. That's interesting. Do you, um, what what do you do, and I guess this is, I'm, I'm assuming this is a sign, because I see it with some of the people that come into me, when you see reactivity. I mean, a lot of times you just see children, teens that react to being controlled. They react, they overreact. They're hurting other people. They're hurting the other brothers and sisters. Is there, I mean, I know that's a sign that we need to do something. How do you handle a super kind of reactive child? Any ideas on that? Uh, well, I, th I would go back to the authoritative kind of thing and make sure that you just don't react 
yeah. the same way back. Because usually that's what happens is a parent just reacts mm-hmm. and lashes, Game lashes out. Right. Yeah, now we're going to uh, fight each other. Right. Uh, rather than taking time to at least, even if you disagree with it, try to talk to them and understand their position. And I think you should tell them that. You yeah. can do what you want, but here's what I think and why. And oh, I think huge. that can go a long way. No, I do too. And w- let's do this, Steve. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about how we how we help them You know, after they've kind of gotten in trouble or after the, we've talked to them at the principal's office. I also want you to help us talk about controlling our reactions I know there's a lot of great research on that as well. We're talking with Dr. Steve Barr, professor of sociology at Brigham Young University. He's walking us through the troubled teen, the teen that might be dabbling in drugs, those that are starting to, you know, slip away, slip out of our hands a bit. We're going to talk more about this, give you more tools, more ideas, a leg up uh, in this crazy thing we call life. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we are on uh, in a discussion here with Dr. Steve Barr, who is a professor of sociology right here at Brigham Young University in the Department of Sociology. He's teaching us about troubled teens and addictions. And um, it's, a, it's a big deal because, you know, as a parent, there's nothing more important to you, nothing that you probably value more than your children. Nothing could scare you more, really. And when they start to slide away, get into trouble, uh, it, it rocks your world. And so Dr. Barr is, again, father of six children, but also a professor at BYU for 40-plus years. So, you know, he's the real deal. He knows what he's doing. Talk to us, Dr. Barr, about um, just, I guess, about re- the addiction and the process. So if we catch and find out that our child is involved or is, or is, is starting to get addicted or is addicted and is needing some help and some intervention, how do, where do we go? How do we choose who we go to? Where do we begin with a child that's caught in an addiction? I think you begin with the child, him or herself, yeah. and you talk to them. And then, of course, I would seek help from other people. And I think a lot of cases, times, maybe especially in the church, people think, well, you just tough it out and you can do it yourself. I think it's important that they realize that there are a lot of resources Mm -hmm. uh, that they can turn to, and they should turn to some of those and talk to other people, other parents. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a great way to do it. Other parents and other experts, it seems like sometimes the best, if you can find an expert you trust, even if they can't help you, they may know better experts. Right. So kind of go by referral. Right. um, And... I mean, I know too in you know Christian communities or communities where they they have a strong belief that God can fix this. Um, it's it still wouldn't hurt. I mean, AA as a program runs on a belief of God, right? And so it works, and uh, it may not be enough to just do alone. You know, it may not be enough that the boy you can just tell the boy just believe in God. Right. Read your scriptures. Yeah. I mean, if he's addicted, it's probably good to get him in some program where there's accountability and right and and transparency. I mean, I think religious things can be very good and Absolute, wonderful support. and additive. Right. Exactly. Uh, but in addition to that, yeah. oftentimes to really make it, they need some kind of help. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't have to. I mean, AA is is very well proven. 
as as a process, mm-hmm. and yet it's it's not it's not going to fit everybody. Right. Everybody's going to. Yeah. There's some... a lot of different treatment programs out there, and I think many of them have been shown. But for some people, they can be very effective. Yeah. What do you see is the process? I mean, when people go through an addiction, it's it's a, it's not just oh okay quit, because there's there may be complexities and reasons why they're addicted. Yeah. It could be child abuse issues or family of origin issues. It could be your genetics. It could be your uh, mental health issues, depressions, anxieties, other disorders. It's a complex problem. Right. So how, what does the process of recovering from an addiction look like? Let me just say first that one of the things that I guess as I've studied this and looked at it is the power of addiction. Mm-hmm. I think those of us that aren't addicts, uh, at least drug addicts, don't realize the power that yeah. that addiction has over people. You bet. And I think we should certainly realize that, and that's a lot stronger than we sometimes assume. It isn't a matter of just saying, well... Have character. Yeah, have character and tough it out, stay yeah. away from it. Right. Uh, what, what, um, what else is part of the process? I mean, I guess if your child's going through a program, uh, how do you end up... Uh, I guess you can't just expect that they come back and, yep, nailed it, Well, one it. of the other problems is that usually it's it's not just... You have to look at the whole social context. And sometimes parents unwittingly become enablers. Okay. They do yeah. little things that they think are going to help their child, yeah. and sometimes it, it helps them in their addiction rather you than bet. helping them out of it. So I think that's really important that you look at yourself and the whole system of yeah. friends and people. Are we, yeah, are we, do we have a, a sense of accountability with the child? Are we just making excuses for the child? Right. That's a big deal. We often make excuses. Well, and you can see with the, with the tragic Robin Williams scenario that— um, it, it's not a, it's not something you get over. It's something you battle every day. I remember somebody asked Robin Williams, so have you, you know, have you, are you, have you overcome your, overcome your addiction? And he's like, no, just every day. Yeah. Every hour I fight the dragon again. I fight the dragon. And I've heard professionals liken it to diabetes. My wife's a type two diabetic. Yeah. And that's something you don't get over. You learn to manage it. Yeah. And sometimes you have to have that frame of mind in the addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got to be the hardest thing to look at your child captured in an addiction and not lose hope. You know what I mean? Especially if they keep, they kind of rise above it and then they fall again. Yep. And they rise above it and they fall again. And I think people should realize that in most cases, relapse is part of the process. Yeah. Rarely does somebody just jump out and get away from the addiction. There's a process and sometimes there's some bumps, uh-huh. uh, minor setbacks. Sure. Uh, and rather than being discouraged with those, all it's easy to do is kind of keep working and hanging in there. Yeah. It's interesting because it's like you wouldn't expect your baby to just stand and walk. Right. Yep. <laughs> you, you, they start you know walking and they fall. Yeah. And that's exactly a similar process. And we're that's not devastated analogy. when they fall. Like, oh, boy, there we go. <laughs> it's all over. Yeah. She'll never walk again. We. It's that process, isn't it? I think it's also important to recognize that, and I'm not a neuroscientist, but the, the, my friends that are neuroscientists, we know a lot more about the brain, and there are some actual changes in the brain that occur yeah. in addiction, and that's, again, why it takes so long. You've got to assume that it's going to be a long process. The, 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 the neuroscience of addiction is really interesting because it, a lot of the addiction has nothing to do with the actual whatever you're using, the right. actual, right. like the, the drugs or, I mean, I, people could be addicted to video games, but what it's doing is it's, I guess, it's creating, it's creating chemistry in the brain. Right. A lot of it's just medicating your brain. Right, exactly. 
that's interesting. I found out uh, with addictions like or like uh, pornography addiction, anxiety and boredom tend to be two of the biggest drivers. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is when I've looked at the people that are drug addicts, uh, not always, but many of them have some underlying issue that they haven't dealt with. Yeah. And they use the the thing for escape, mm-hmm. whether it's video games or pornography or drugs. It's And it almost seems like in a way it's that, that therapy side where you'd have to go deal with the deeper demon. That's probably more important in many regards than just the control side. Right. Because you can still, you can learn to control something until the demon comes back. Right. So it's, so I guess you probably would want some therapy. Some therapy and professional As help. well as kind of a, a program and intervention. And that's where the parents really need to kind of be aware, listen, talk to, maybe yeah. understand their teen a little better than they have. What do you think's going through the teen's head as they're going through this process? I just I got to witness a graduation program from a, a a youth program with troubled teens in it, and I got to hear what they were saying, and it's it I think it would blow most parents' minds mm-hmm. to hear what these kids really feel. What what are you what are you learning in your research? I mean I think some of them are discouraged yeah. and depressed about different things. Some of them feel excluded, yeah. and lack friends because of whatever reason. Some of them have guilt. Mm-hmm. Some of them have some mental health issues, maybe not too serious, but yeah. that's behind it right. that aren't recognized. And I think you put all those together, uh. and I just think you know sometimes we say, oh, he's not discouraged. He just needs to get up and do this. Yeah. You know, clean your room. Yeah, yeah we we kind of simplify it, don't we? It's we we think it's just one cause, one effect. Like bad parent, bad kid. Right, right. Or lazy child, bad kid. And even if they're distorted in their thinking, by talking to them, you can at least understand where they're coming from Mm -hmm. and maybe help them see where they are. It sounds like one of the best solutions we have is the relationship. Yes. There's no question about that. If if we would, I mean, that's not the only thing. There's a lot no. of the other yeah. things we talked about, but I think that really is important. And that gives you power, I guess, to get other help or to influence them other ways. Right. And yeah. talking to them and negotiating with them. I yeah. mean, I mean, I think the teens will recognize and verbalize some of the problems that they have, yeah. and even agree to do certain kinds of things if you know they talk to each other and and set up some rules. It's got to be hard to be, I mean, again, I can't get over Robin Williams, but you see as an adult who's highly successful and how hard it is for him to be able to cope with his issues. Right. How much harder in a way for a teen right. that has their whole life ahead of them, and yet they have these weird things, behaviors going on, activities that ostracize them. People don't want to be near them. They're scary. I mean, they're troublemaking. I don't know. It's just, it seems like overwhelming for a Yeah. Team. Yeah, I'm sure it is. That's a, you know, becoming autonomous from their parents. Yeah. And going through the transitions. And you have to realize that they have very, uh, they're very young and inexperienced, even oh, though sometimes right. they're, I mean, and one time I look at my granddaughter and she seems like this adult and the other time she seems like this little 12-year-old girl. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of between two different worlds in it's that huge. sense. Oh, it really is. And Yeah. And they're maturing and you know, you'd expect immature people to be immature. Right. <laughs> well, appreciate you. Dr. Steve Barr, thanks so much. You're welcome. And uh, may you have 40 more years. Thank you. Brigham Young <laughs> University. That may not, that may have been the curse. Uh, we're going to take a break. Great stuff, folks. Again, we're trying to help you get tools, ideas, dealing with a troubled world. It's a hard thing. And yet um, there are answers. There are solutions. Don't give up just because your teen is in trouble. 
uh, get some help. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, second hour of the show. Again, we are mourning the loss of Robin Williams. Oh, he truly was. I remember watching in the movie theaters while I was in college, Good Morning Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam. And that movie made me want to be a journalist, like a broadcaster. And ironically, now I sit here as a broadcaster. Isn't that crazy? Just something as, and I'm somebody that I can get, I get it. I'm quirky. I get that. And yet Robin Williams made quirkiness work. So anyway, he's been a role model of mine. And again, too sad that we as a society still can't talk more openly about mental health issues. So anyway, if you're out there, you have children, family, kids, parents, anybody you love suffering from depression or any kind of mental uh, illness or mental issues, please put your arm around them, beg them to, to seek help, get help, do what we can to save more people from, you know, a very, very real issue, very real disorder. Now, also on the show today, we've been talking about troubled teens. And as somebody that works with a, a five young adults, uh, I feel like I understand troubled teens <laughs> quite, quite a bit, as Alyssa laughs. But you get it. And I, and I don't know why you looked right at James, but you're right. <laughs> he is the king oh, of the troubled teen. So we've been talking about all about teens who are in a little bit of trouble today, right? And it mm-hmm. leads back to one thing, peer pressure. Right. Maddie and Alyssa uh, have been tackling this tough subject. So let's start out with a recorded piece from Maddie Richard about what peer pressure is and how we can start to fight it. Oh, I guess we're not going to do it. So guess what? It's your job, Alyssa. Okay. What is peer pressure? Because think about it. It's a big deal. It's a very, very big deal for our kids today. They're fighting a lot of peer pressure. It is a big deal. I think um, peer pressure usually is looked at as a bad thing, don't you think? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it could be a good thing. I I had kids that were really good. (laughs) So they were given the peer pressure. Maybe we should go throw eggs or something. And they would look (laughs) at me like, what? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Why darest thou do that? So I think um, even even if it is positive, though, it's not necessarily the person's choice that they're making. That, you know, they're following this positive peer pressure, but they're giving in to someone else's choice, right? That's right, that's right. So they're still not really making the decision. Isn't that, so they're still a follower. Right, right. Which is, I guess, what we want to teach is teach your kids that they got to make choices. Uh Uh-huh. That's cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I just think with the, with the positive peer pressure, you know, the next time the person's making this decision, they're not going to have the peer pressure. That's right. And so they'll just make their own decision 
whether it's positive or negative, they're not going to have the people talking in their ear. You need to do this. Well, and maybe they'll have a habit. <laughs> I mean, maybe they will have because the first, you know, they did it with friends. Mm-hmm. Now they just think they do that, and mm-hmm. or they might they might be the instigator for the next group of peer pressure, right? And, right, and hand That's it down. That's true. It could go that way as well. Yeah. Let's um, let's go. We now we found that clip that Alyssa put together or that Maddie, Maddie put together. Yeah. Maddie Richard um, about peer pressure. Okay. It's just a fact. You become like people you spend the most time with. There's even scientific research that proves you start developing habits and acting like those you surround yourself with. Think about a particular expression or saying you use a lot. Mine is sweet death. I've started saying it because one of my good friends uses that expression all the time. It's easy to get swept up in acting, talking, and even thinking like people you spend time with. Because it's easy to start becoming like our friends, we need to ask ourselves what kinds of friends we have. Are they helping us want to do good things, or are they dragging us down? We need to watch out for this, especially in our kids, and even more during their teenage years. It's easy to want to fit in, follow the crowd, be normal. This can lead our teens to making bad decisions based on peer pressure. It's a real thing, and it dominates the world our teens live in. Peer pressure doesn't just go away when we hit a certain age, either. You want to go on a cruise because your neighbor just went on one. Your good friend tells you you have to try this new diet because it's been a lifesaver for her. You want your lawn to be a little bit nicer than the house down the street. And you have to get a boat for the driveway because the Johnsons just got one, and you look dingy without one. Peer pressure is an issue no matter what your age. The important thing is to recognize that it's happening and figure out how to release it. Here are my tips on how to handle peer pressure, whether for yourself or for your kids. Number one, recognize that other people are doing the thing you want to do, that it does seem cool, fun, and normal. This is huge for your kids to understand that you do get it. Yes, a lot of kids do have a cell phone. Yes, a lot of kids are going to be going to this party. That's a real thing, and it's important to acknowledge. It helps your teen understand that you do see what's going on, that you're not oblivious, you do understand. Number two, make a list of the reasons it might not be a good idea. Sit down with your kids and talk about why going to this party might not be a good idea, that there might be drugs or alcohol, or you understand that the kids that are going to be there don't always make the best choices. Consult your spouse on the standard you want your yard to be kept at and why. Decide not to go too far with them before the situation ever arises. Make rules of what kinds of things are acceptable for you and your family and what kinds of things are going over the line. Number three, decide on an out if the situation arises. Allow your kids to blame you if necessary. Let them say, my parents would kill me if I did that, sorry. Or for yourself, decide what you're going to do with the money you're not going to put towards a boat. And then, when someone pressures you as to why you're not getting a boat to come to the lake with them, you can explain why not. And lastly, recognize the strength that you have. You can do it. You're better than the peer pressure, you're bigger than the peer pressure, and you can defeat it. It's important to find people that help you be your best self and surround yourself with them, and then to give little thought to the people who don't matter. So true. Um, Nobody, though, by the way, just a little... You know, editorial note. Uh, we peer pressured Maddie. Oh, did you? She didn't want to do that. She didn't take any of her <laughs> advice, and we pretty much, you know, we, and, and that's why she's about to marry James. Oh, it's all peer pressure. Even into marriage, is it peer wow, pressure, James? Powerful. Yeah, everyone's doing it. Everyone's oh, getting gosh. married this summer. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> so I have a feeling it may not work. 
That's so, funny. Alyssa, you, you have some advice. What, what advice do you have when it I comes do. to peer pressure? Yeah, so I think one important thing is to be able to get to know yourself you know? Yeah. And um, what my parents would always say, I don't know where they heard this from, but it, the quote was, know who you are so others don't define you. Beautiful. Yeah. So I think that's really powerful. You have to, you have to start somewhere. You can't just have all these voices coming in yeah. and, you know, influencing you. James, are you listening? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Know who you are. Don't let all the voices influence you to marry Maddie if it's not. If you don't want that. What if all the voices are inside my head? That's another problem. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's another problem. But we'll talk about that we'll off. Deal with okay, that later, okay, right? deal, yeah. deal. What other advice? <laughs> okay. So first you need to realize it's okay to be the only one making a certain decision, right? Like never marrying. <laughs> right. You can be single and happy. First. That's a great rule. <laughs> okay. That's funny. He didn't like that one. No. Well, I think people always think there's power in numbers, you know. Yeah. Like girls going to the bathroom. Oh boy. You need the partner. Yeah. Right? That's right. You, just so you know, guys don't go to the bathroom together. I know. That's it's awkward. weird. You'll never hear a guy say, uh, James, I'm going to the bathroom. Do you want to go? Bathroom? No, never. <laughs> yeah. I go can, yourself. Yeah. I've actually done where um, my friend says, do you need to go to the bathroom? And I don't need to go, but I'm like, yeah, I'll come with you. you, need, you need I got to come. I got to help her out. Whatever she needs. <laughs> a potty buddy. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. But true. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, the next thing I think is uh, spend time meditating to be able to get to know yourself. There's a lot going on if yeah. you can go in and go deeper. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And I think when people think of the word meditating, it's so broad, but you can break it down into, you know, writing in your journal or even just thinking about your day, uh-huh. you know, um, Praying, reading a book. Yeah. Reading a book, just getting just back to alone. nature. There you go. Uh, James Naps. Oh, in the middle of the show, about everywhere. Uh, about okay, about every maybe not the best. Time. On every nine of the hour, he's taking a nap. <laughs> yeah, just check your watches. It, I don't know why it's, nine, it's on the nines. I'm I'm asleep. <laughs> it's that weird. Funny. Yeah. There we go, James. Meditation. Um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um. The next thing I think is you need to pay attention to your feelings. So, um, when I'm feeling happy or when I'm feeling sad, what what made me feel that way? Yeah. You know, and maybe write it down or think about it the next time. What made you feel that way? Just getting to know your emotions. And they're telling you something, right? And they're mm-hmm. telling you what you like, what you don't like. And yeah. It doesn't always mean they're right, I guess. Right? Yeah. But, but, they're, but they are communicating. Yeah, but you're getting to know yourself. That's great. Um, the next thing is to write down a list of your favorites. Just mm. any little favorite color, favorite ice cream. Mm. And, you know, I think it's kind of a dumb little thing, but think of when you're at the ice cream shop with your friends and they say get chocolate, but you want vanilla, but yeah. maybe chocolate, you know. Or you're James and you're like, I'll have Marion Berry. <laughs> or you go all out. <laughs> the mayor of yeah. D.C., please. Yeah. I'll have two scoops of Marion Berry. <laughs> anyway. There you go. It's a good berry. Though. I'm sorry, sir. We don't carry that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We don't carry Marion Berry. Good voice. <laughs> we got one more. Give us one more. What's the key? Wrap up. Okay. So the last one, make a list of standards. There you go. So maybe um, I will never do this or I want to be known for this. Yeah. I want people, when people think of me, I want them to think of this word or something like that. That's because then now you know what you're shooting for. Mm-hmm. Then, then you at least have something to go to. And if yeah, you know right, what your standards right. are, we can just go to the standard. Right. Say no or say yes. And exactly. That's good. Thank you. You've got good self-esteem. 
<laughs> I like to think you I do. do. I think Luann and Steve, is that your dad's name? Scott. Scott. Close. It was, a, it was an S. <laughs> it was an S, yes. Yeah, they've done a great job. Good <laughs> job to both of you. Well done. Maddie and Alyssa, you too, James. Thanks for piping in. It was a pleasure. <laughs> pleasure to have you, James. We are going to take a break in the house today. Our, um, our resident guru, Julie Nelson. Julie K. Nelson from A Spoonful of sh- Parenting. I was going to say sugar. I, I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. A Spoonful of Parenting. She'll be joining us right after this break. More on Troubled Teens right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Julie K. Nelson from a spoonfulofparenting.com. Mm-hmm. You are the resident. You like, it's almost like you live underneath <laughs> the, studio. the studio. What do we call this? <laughs> the du- I, I live in the dungeon. Yeah, you live in the dungeon. Yeah, I do. Well, Thanks for, you're on all the time. You're like, and we don't even mean to be, but you're the one that in one second. I'm the Johnny on the spot. Yes. Julie on the spot. You're the Julie on the spot. That's what we'll call me. Okay, write that down. All right. I got to add that to your bio. Yeah, my mom used to call me Johnny on the spot, but I can be Julie on the spot. My mom used to say, grow up. (laughs) I don't know if we, I want to be I'm glad to fill in for your guest that was supposed to be here. Yes. Okay. First of all, and we'll get into this, Robin Williams. Yeah. I'm going to talk about him today. Okay. Yeah. Because he, honestly, my man, mm-hmm. he's my man. Okay, talk to me about um, when it comes to teens, you know, they're troubled, some of them. Yeah. And some of them have troubled parents. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to take it from the parenting perspective and how you talk about, in, you know, inmates, kids going to prison, juvie, all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, we really, I mean, we have parents that are listeners out there that are already have had their children go in and serve some time. You bet. Maybe they're wondering, what do I do now? I found out that they are breaking the law. And some might just be headed in that direction. Um, do, do you, are you a tough love mom? Like, if you knew your kids committed a crime. Would I leave them there to rot? Well, or would you call the cops? <laughs> You know, my, my, That's a we, tough one. We ha- my son, when he graduated from ninth grade, um, that was a long time ago. Did you graduate from ninth grade? Yeah. Do. That's He's junior. done with junior high. Yeah. Okay. He never came home that day. Never. <laughs> he went on a binge or. And I'm like, where is he? Where I, did he I go? called all his regular friends. <laughs> Not there. I called the cops. Yes, I did. did came you? to my house to the profile. I was like, missing child. Graduate. Yeah. <laughs> Thinks, Ninth grade. He thinks he's done with life. <laughs> he's moving on. Yeah. No, it was kind of scary. Where was he? At some other random kid's house that lived by the junior high. Was he unconscious? They were playing games all day long. I had no idea. And he he didn't bother to think that his mom was home worrying. No. Did you? Yeah. Did you take him to the shed? But I I would be if I had a child who was, yeah, I've called the cops before. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to call the cops. No, I think it can scare the bejeebies out of them. It's yeah. a good thing. I really like to call the cops on the neighbor kids, though. Yeah, yeah. I call the kids, I call the cops on the neighbor's dog is what I do. <laughs> yeah. No, here's the thing, though. You you go to the prison. Yeah. Right? Do you ki- take your kids there to kind of scare the bejeebies out of them? I would love to. They won't let me. Uh, you have to be 18 to mm-hmm. go to the prison. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless, of course, you're going to the juvenile prison. Because there's that scared straight, you know, video uh-huh. that really. But I take, I, my daughter went and it scared her straight and she was an adult and married. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And now she's like, okay, I won't get in mm-hmm. trouble. Mm-hmm. But it's I, it's beautiful learning. My, but I'm kind of in a church setting. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in, you know, I'm not in the, you know, I'm not in the bad mm-hmm. Oz-like prison. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever watched cable, you shouldn't have watched that. Um, but here, oh, here's the thing. Okay, yeah. so let's go back to what parents can do. If you see your child in any of those spectrums, yeah. Um, first thing to start with yourself. Um, Dr. Barr, a former neighbor of mine, yes. I mentioned. Yes. yes. He um, mentioned how um, that parenting style makes a big difference. So uh-huh. we won't go into that. But you've um, talked about but that. I've talked about you've that before. You've talked about the one the authoritative about. style. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's where to go. So learn learn more about that, parents. And the number one thing we can do is to educate ourselves. Whether it's what kind of parenting is the best, how can we change our parenting approach. You know, if I'm just kind of by default doing what my parents did and no one's in prison yet, so I'll just keep yeah, on doing working. what I did. That's right. um, it may not keep working. Well, and every child every generation is going to, every gen, and every child's different and, and it's going to kind of degenerate from uh-huh. generation. Yeah. And so, and our times change. We've got to, we've got to get with the program people. But you're also mixing, you're mixing the pools, right? So when my genes and my family's, my wife's <laughs> genes mix, you're not, you're creating a whole different gene pool. That's right. And you have no clue what it is because that pool has never existed. Yeah. And your partner may be doing things that are also undermining good parenting. That's true. And you don't know what they're bringing in That's and right. you could have conflict there. And so the child's getting mixed messages. And so you really got to be on the same page. So I would uh, first counsel parents, learn all you can, That's not it. just about parenting and changing your style and maybe even going against the grain of what your parents taught, how they taught yeah. you. And, you know, it's, it's about getting better, improving, but also just plain old education. Studies find that when parents have high aspirations educationally for themselves and are always improving, even though that means read the newspaper every day. Right. You know, and learn things about the world and about what research is saying. And if it's maybe taking some community classes, uh-huh. but self-improvement, if the child sees that, then that's a aspiration that they know that you have for yourselves and that you have for them as well. I love that. And they will have more of a chance of completing school and becoming successful just by the virtue of you improving yourself, however that is. That's right. Well, and it's technology enables this. So I have, because I see all these different types of clients there. Have you ever heard of Zite? No, I haven't. It's an app. It's one of my favorite apps. You go in, and it's an aggregator. It's a it's an app that is a what do they call it? A uh, it's like a blog aggregator. So you can go and about and put any title you want in there. So I have anxiety, mm-hmm. depression. I don't have that, but I write those titles in. Um, communication, happiness, marriage, conflict resolution, all these titles, and then it will go out and start looking for articles in those areas. And it starts sending me articles. And when it sends me the articles in each area, I can actually read the article. If I like it, I thumbs it up. And mm-hmm. then I'll get more articles mm-hmm. like that. And what's cool now is I have some of the latest research on every kind of disorder. So if you have a son that has ADD, mm-hmm. you can go get an app or just start reading about attention deficit. Mm-hmm. There are there's so many places to learn about every disorder. There's groups, there's everything. They can tell you the latest drugs, the latest exercises that work, the latest research. Mm-hmm. There's no end. Yeah. And this is, to, I mean, today is better than ever. It's to be able wonderful, to deal with this. and it makes it all—it equalizes yeah. because we all have access to the internet. It used to be where the educated families who had the kids who were all like, right. uh, you know, excelling, like James, and, like James, yeah, um, they all had the the haves, and then the have-nots were the people that sat there around and mm-hmm. thought, oh, "It's not going to happen to us. We're just going to go out and, you know, fish mm-hmm. for crawdads." I again like today. ice cream, and and we're we're going to have like kids that. just kind of just kind of hopefully they'll get their high school diploma, maybe not. Yeah. My 
parents never did. And so they just never thought we could get right. ahead because it, there was just this d- great divide. Now we don't have that great divide. Parents, any kind, from whatever socioeconomic status you have, can get information and advocate for their kids right. and become educated themselves in whatever method they want to be. They don't have to, to sit around and just you know, look at so look at the sunset every That's night. Right. They can be out there looking at educational programs. They can be involved in, and you don't have to live in a huge city anymore. No. You can be in a small town and have access to lots of educational opportunities through video, v- YouTube, v- TED.com. There's a million. <laughs> yeah, things. TED Talks, great. Yeah. and you know, so so educate yourself. Be that person that is proactive and that kind of goes against that anti-educational. We don't do that sort of thing in our family mentality. That. That's great because that really then does the the whole. Um, um, teaching the children, you don't have to better improve yourself, and which will lead to those delinquency behaviors. Especially educate yourself, even on you. If you know you have these issues, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, tendency, mm-hmm. all these things, you educate them for your sake because mm-hmm. some of your children will pick them up. Yeah. And, and you're, then you'll model. You model what learning looks like. That's Absolutely. Huge. Great, Love it. Great point, Matt. Okay, so um, here's a National Center for Education. They did a, a survey and found that in prisons, uh, over 50% of those had not even completed high school. Yeah. So not only do the parents who don't have high aspirations for themselves, when kids don't complete high school, over 50% of them are populating the prison. the prison. Yeah. So huge. so education's a big one. It and is. here's another one talk about Robin Williams. 35% of inmates report a disability. Mental yeah. health, yeah. learning disabilities, ADHD, depression, all those things are impeding them from being successful. <laughs> then if they're not successful, they're going to find right. some other thing that they can feel successful at and that might be starting to tag. I mm-hmm. might start graffiti, then That's I right. might start slashing tires and then it just snowballs. Those from there. that are in for drugs, mm-hmm. it's 80%. 80%. So if they're in there because of drug use, it's 80% of those would have some mental health issue, mental disorder, or family of origin abuse, all this stuff. Yeah. So Education. And let's mm-hmm. do this. Um, I want to take a break, but when we come back, you're going to keep you know, guiding us, teaching us how to get the kids yeah. healthy. Yeah. Because we need that. We need to get, we need to get the, the kids healthy. I'm yeah. still trying to get on James. I mean, it's... I can't do everything. James is coming along. He is. He's even standing up straight today. (laughs) It's half the battle. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more on our our children, creating healthy teens, coaching, loving them, being there for them. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. back everybody to the matt townsend show hey today we are talking about teens and you know sometimes they get in trouble but some of the trouble isn't just the teens fault some of it is parents don't have a clue they don't have a clue what they're doing some of us i mean we don't know yeah, no. Yet there's We've, skills out there. There's places we should be going to get here, more educated. Here's something interesting, man. I want to bring this up. It's so provocative. There was this man named David Lichen. He believed that parents have such a profound influence on children's lives that parents should be licensed Ooh. to have children. Wow. His studies confirmed criminal behavior and his antecedents. 
He was convinced that immature, impulsive parents doom a child to a life of difficulties. Oh, sure. He looked at over a million, a million four hundred thousand men currently locked up in American prisons. And he said that most of them would become had, would have become taxpaying neighbors had they been switched in the hospital, nursery, and sent, ho- sent home with a mature, self-supporting married couple. So he, he he's a believer in nurture. So the nurturing matters more than the nature. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, but think of just how how on earth would you ever um, do that? You yeah. have to like have a boot. You know the boot they put on your car. <laughs> So if you're if you're a bad parenting and your licensing expires, yeah. we'd have to go boot you. Yeah. And, and, and I don't it, know what that would my, look like, but it sounds horrible. In my parenting class, we've debated that. You know, can you license? Shouldn't we? What, what's the, what's society's role on that? And we come down to the conclusion that no, you cannot regulate it. You cannot mm. put the boot on. But you here, can give them the boot. You can get. Yeah, that's right. The boot. But here are some things for social awareness that we, as a community and as a nation, should do better at. Okay. To to not have to license parents, but to prepare them so they know what is developmentally appropriate when they can start noticing signs of yeah. behavior. Uh, like Dr. Barr talked about, what happens when I see my child, you know, and they have some specific behavior. So what do you do? Well, one thing we can do is we do not have any classes that are at all required for adolescents themselves to learn how to become competent parents. Oh. You have to take math. You have to have so many, yeah. diff- uh, what's it called? Um, not points, but credits. Credits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah English. Yeah. Science. Do they have to take one no, class? No, they have to have that one class where they carry like a- They don't. We had to carry an egg around. That, and that's, you had to that's, the egg. that's extracurricular. That's alternative. See, you don't have to bring the egg. They so don't have to do the egg anymore. Mm-hmm. By the way, you you have to do the egg if you're going to use eggs. <laughs> you know they Put have that act- on a bumper. They sticker. have actually that, now. I have students that report in these days now with technology. They actually give them like a little thing that like cries at yeah. these oh, different man. times, and you have to change them. And oh. they're like, "Wait a minute! I'm not having a baby for a long time." Right. That's the best birth control method so you uh, learn totally you learn right. in these classes what it, child, child development what you is, should everyone should take that they should learn how to be parents and, and then all of a sudden they're realizing man my parents kind of made some mistakes and i didn't realize i shouldn't be doing the same stuff they See, did that's why they don't do it because parents don't want their kids to know <laughs> they've made they were, mistakes yeah so we've got to start having some mandatory classes starting in junior high i think when they're still open to stuff yeah and especially through high school these kids are you know starting to be promiscuous they yeah. might have start having children oh. uh it's scary or boot them. That's right. We can't put a yeah. boot your kids, or until they take the class, <laughs> then you yeah. unboot them. So we we need to have a, in our in our educational uh, curriculum a class where they have to take some kind of parenting. I, agree. I mean, we look look at this, Matt. When you when you become, let's say, uh, a driver, a car driver, mm-hmm. how many hours do you have to take to be, get that driver's license? Mm, I don't know, but I would bet. In class, you'd probably be in class mm-hmm. 40 hours. Yeah. And then you have 40 hours of just street time, right? Yeah. We call okay. it parent torture. It's parent torture. Call, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. State it, to state. It, Every state it, yes. tortures but parents But you have the class you have to take. You have your simulator time. Yeah. You have your book time. And then you have your street time. Right. Something like that. So we're talking, you know, probably 100, 100 hours. plus hours. Plus hours just to drive a car. And then if you want to become a beautician, not that I not love beauticians and They're cutting wonderful. hair. They're wonderful. wonderful. They make our life happy. Well, yeah. But 2,000 hours in this area of, of just the practicum, not doesn't cl- count uh. the class time. This is their their internship type thing yeah, where they're but practicing. Two thousand, and of we the have impact. zero zero hours to raise a child. But think of the impact 
parents or uh, beauticians have on this society. Okay. Think of how many <laughs> days a beautician can ruin by just having a bad cut. Okay, a week, two weeks. <laughs> but if you're a bad parent, we're talking lifetime. Totally. Lifetime, I've messed up. We've got to figure this out. How can we make this mandated? Yeah, that's what it, my my thing is on how we can hmm. get this the the curriculum in schools to actually require that for at least a class, and if not more, because these are going to be the future parents of the world. Maybe we ought not leave it up to society. Maybe we ought to leave it up to, maybe as a family, we ought Mm -hmm. to make sure our children know some of these skills. Absolutely. That is one of the benefits of a bigger family. My oldest, my daughter, my oldest child learned a lot about the youngest child because we had her watch him a lot. Absolutely. And yeah. it helped. And, and this is what's changed as well, is we used to have the extended families where we had aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas that kind of helped yeah. us. When we were feeling helpless as parents, they would step in and go, okay, this is how you do it. Or the younger kids would go to them and say, you know, I need some help because mom and dad aren't there right, right now. Exactly. And we didn't have latchkey kids. Now we have kids who are, in, we have one, maybe two, 1.5 kids per family. Yeah. The, They're yeah. not learning how to parent because they don't have uh-uh. siblings. Right. And then we have parents who are not there because they're working two or three jobs and they're left alone. They're left home and it, we're in a transient society now right. and so we they live in from city to city to city without that extended family support I love and it. Um, so we do have kids who are getting into trouble because they have to fill that void if they don't have siblings to hang out with oh yeah if they don't have extended family to hang out with then they're going to find a gang to hang out with That's right. they're going to find the lowest common denominator where they feel belonging because as we know okay Rudolf Dreikers is a great guy in, in psychology and he said that um, the number Number one need for children is a sense of belonging. And so if they don't true. feel it at home, if the if the parents right. aren't there, uh, they're too busy to notice, and there's no family around, they're going to find somewhere that will accept them. My daughter, um, we left my son with him. You tell me. You're the professional. Oh. Uh, and we came home, and my son was sitting on the stairs with his head stuck in, like, the railing, the banister. <laughs> his head was stuck in there. But this is how what a great sitter she was. She brought a TV over so he could watch TV. Oh, how thoughtful. And she brought him food. She didn't bother to put the Crisco on either side no, and grease him. She and couldn't get, get his head back. <laughs> get him and, through. and so we came home and we're like, what's going on? And she's like, his head's stuck. But she was feeding him. And I'm like, don't feed someone when their head's stuck. Yeah, it's kind of like Winnie the Pooh stuck. That's right. Yeah, we may not ever get jar. him out. But it no. was beautiful. And if she had not learned that. Mm-hmm. Who knows when she'll use that information, but that's important. When her own children have stuck that's heads, right. she won't be feeding yeah, the as head. Yeah, as they're redoing their house right now, they're <laughs> they're changing their banister because they don't want it to. They don't want kids to get their heads stuck. Yeah, they, we learn through trial and error. We do totally, and so and we don't have families that have the the larger, right. you know, sibling more siblings, and so we've got to learn other places so we can. Also, you said if we can't have it through this educational system, why not as families or as communities like through? I mean, seeing churches, churches, churches often will have a prep. A marriage prep class, yeah, right? Most of them do. They most of them do, and the pastor won't do the do the service until you've passed the course. That's right? Why not a parent prep class? Right. We, we should be requiring this. This is, this is kids they're bringing into the world. The Duggars. We've had the Duggars on the show. Nineteen yeah. kids and counting. Yeah. And they. That's what they talk about when you are raising nineteen kids. The kids help. Oh yeah. And those. I'm telling you, we the older kids, the girls were the ones we talked to, and the parents, and they, they're. They're very well educated. Oh yeah, no kids that come from larger families tend to. My husband's from nine. Wow. They yeah, they tend to really have that sense of of knowing how to um, 
to have relationships, positive ones, yeah. how to care for, how to, he's a great, he's a great nurturer. Yeah. And because they had that experience within the home. Now, if you don't have a family out there, listeners who, you know, have a lot of siblings, there's other ways to simulate that. We can, again, have community programs that help them to get that sense of caring for one another and to raise the common denominator right. because we don't want them to fall into what is the, you know, least, uh, you know, the, the gang type mentality. So get them involved early on to avoid this delinquency mm-hmm. in b- scouting, yeah. in whatever kinds of thing that they like, sports, you know, whatever might trigger their interest. Because the more you can fill the void yourself and fill in the time, the less they're going to become bored and distracted and anxious and fearful. And where do I fit in? And so See, get them. Now, we don't want to overschedule a no. child. There's a problem with that as well. But you get them in with the right group of kids. I always was proactive as a parent and thought, what kind of friends do I want my kids to be with? And I would find those groups and I would enroll them in those art classes or dance classes or whatever That's it might cool. be, swimming lessons, because then you get those friendships that really bring them up rather than letting them just kind of disintegrate. So you, you have to pay attention to that. You can't just assume, ah, oh, he'll choose the right friends. No, no, you have to as a parent be, be proactive. proactive. That's right. Um, you know, last resort for parents out there, I've I've had parents I've worked with who their child got so bad as a teen and it was going to become, you know, prison time that they, the, the dad, um, in both situations, changed jobs. And moved. Get them out yeah. of that friendship yeah. circle, that social context. And with remoting these days, we can remote from lots oh, of places. Sure. Get them out. If you need to, move. This is your family you're saving. Mm-hmm. And I had another family who they sent their child to work the summers at grandpa's yeah, house. I've seen that. At the farm. Yeah. You know, or wherever it might be, picking cherries. And get them away from those friendships and get them to feel a sense of belongingness with somewhere else That's where I so can get good. some some skills and learn about myself and f- get some positive influence rather than hanging out with those same teens because they'll fill that void if you don't. Oh. You have to be proactive there. Um, yeah, I there's can tell you answers. stories and stories. The yeah. deal is there's answers, isn't there? And, uh-huh. and and then there's professionals. I have people come all the time saying, how can I talk to my kids? How can I? So there's other, there's experts. They're, they can go to your blog. They could go get your book. Yeah. They can, yeah. so again, a spoonful of parenting.com. That's the blog. And then the parent, the parenting with spiritual power is the book. And you have another book coming out. Soon. Yeah. It's going to be called Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. Mm. Expert tips. I know it's not a great title. It expert tips fantastic. for su- expert tips for, for surviving parenthood. Yeah, um, it's going it to come out like next spring, spring break with James. Next spring, yeah, and Aaron. Yeah, it's uh, it's about it's about doing things together as a family and and unifying families even through housework and that's what the grab a plunger idea is from. Really, is is that we can do it together even in doing household chores? You have that sense of we can do this together as a family. Um, we're just too we're just too uh, spread out spread out these days. And we hire in people to take care of everything, from walking the dog to clean our toilets. Why not do that together as a family? I, I cannot tell you how important that is to getting eradicating delinquency because the children are working hard. Mm-hmm. They're feeling a p- empowerment and a sense of belongingness to their family. Yeah, when they do it. you. Around you. Yeah. And we're not going to be dictators. Just like Dr. Barr, we're not right. the authoritarian parent. Clean that. Stop that. Yeah. We're, it's a party. We turn on music and we make you it. Dance. A, you dance. You dance. Grab the plunger. And dance. Grab the plunger. That could be dancing. the title. Grab a plunger and dance. Mm. Expert tips on parenting.
That's a good book. Yeah, but be proactive as parents and never give up. We have lots of parents with the mentality as well. well I tried that and that didn't work, so no. Nah. But keep, kids will be kids. Yeah, you can't change. A keep kid. asking. Keep talking to, to other parents. What do you do that works? Where? What resources have you gone? Where do you enroll your children to learn that? Mm. That math club. Where's your child going to that math club? Yeah, I want Can you can you carpool and take my child when you go to that math club? Be proactive and keep trying. Don't give up and and get them connected to other. Yeah. Uh, positive social systems. when you give up on your kids uh-huh. that's it yeah i mean who else is there and don't give up on yourself again at the top of the hour we talked about how we need to as ourselves always be improving finding resources for ourselves educating ourselves and and making the next generation better than the one we came from beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. well julie you did it again are you going to stick around with us i am we're going to talk about robin williams with Sean, robin I williams think. we're yeah. going to do a wrap-up a, uh, we're going to honor Robin Williams. Because, again, he said before he fell the last fall was he was in Alaska doing a, a, a movie. And he said, I was bored and I was anxious on the frontier in Alaska. And I think that's what teenagers are these today. They're anxious about they're who they bored. are and what they're going to be. And they're bored. Which is the gateway to addiction. That's the gateway. So we need to recognize that and, and change and fill that void. Wow. Um, so they're not bored and they're not uh, going in the wrong direction. We've got to steer them around. You're the best, Julie. We're going to take a break. Come back. We're going to be honoring Robin Williams right after this break right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That is the hoedown music, which means it's time to wrap up the show. Today, we're, we are celebrating the life and the work, uh, really, the works of uh, Robin Williams. Tragic death. I mean, it's, again, folks, we've said it like five times on the show. We have to look after each other. Uh, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, they're real. They are real. And... They're not just a sign of bad character. He's not just a bad guy who couldn't take it. He's he had he was battling a disease, a disorder. So, um, as part of that, we wanted to go around and have everybody share some of their favorite stories, some of their favorite. None of us knew him personally, but I I think when you listen to the the list of movies he's done or been a part of, holy cow. The guy's done it all. Uh, back joining us again is Julie Nelson from a spoonful of parenting.com, which, by the way, every time I say that, it reminds me of Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of like, you know, the Mary Poppins idea. She yeah. was such a Mary Poppins. He was Mary yeah. Poppins in yeah. that. He was, he was great in that he movie. Was great. <laughs> My kids watched that forever growing up, and they have a whole thing memorized. He has done so many movies. By the way, five movies or that he's either voiced or acted in are still to be released. He has five movies that are going to still be released, I guess, that he's been involved in. Wow. Amazing. Um, Okay, so who wants to start? Who has a favorite? James. Well, you know, you mentioned that we we never, we don't know him personally, but it's really interesting with these celebrities, and Robin Williams is no exception, that through their work, it feels like you do know them. Oh, yeah. You know, that that his death is such a big hit to all of us because... I mean, like I grew up with Robin Williams, you yeah. know. Anyway, so um, I, I have two actually. I, I I loved Robin Williams in Hook. Hook really? was one of my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> is so it really? Good. Yeah, I loved Hook. <laughs> it was one of my childhood videos. I watched it all the time. That's cool. So good. That so tells good. a lot about you. Uh, I don't know why. I can never but, grow up. Well, yeah. Do you want to sing the song? 
So Hook <laughs> is one of your favorites. Save yeah. your other one. Okay. We'll come back to it. Alyssa, what uh, who's what was your favorite movie from Robin Williams? She's speechless. She's. <laughs> I think she's just talking. Um, Hook. You know what's funny? I don't remember Hook very well. You don't remember Hook? Uh-uh. No. So I think good. it was. I think it was in that tweener stage where I was no longer young, and I was newly married or something. What? We'll look at what year. Alyssa, what was your favorite? Okay, I'm here now. Where have you been all my <laughs> okay, life? Okay, so um, one of my favorites is probably RV. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like it because he's the father in that. He's oh. he's acting up with his kids. He's having a fun time with them all. So that is I me. love that one. That's that would one. be me if I took my kids in a motorhome. <laughs> Interesting. Julie K. Nelson, what's your favorite? Well, well, one of your favorites. I'm also a poet, so I really love oh, Dead Poet Society my a favorite lot. Too. It's a really powerful film. And when yeah. he stands up on the desk, it's I mean, yeah. it gives you chills. That 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 was in 1989. Mm-hmm. So I was just I was about I was just into college. And besides I learned Carpe Diem from that movie. Yeah, Carpe Diem. She's yeah. the day. Yeah. But I also love that because you saw I saw right there how cool it is the power you have to motivate somebody. And I'm a teacher and so it really yeah. was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love it. that. Yeah. Okay, besides besides Miss Doubtfire, my kids they would definitely say Miss Doubtfire. I've already said uh Good Morning Vietnam was probably one of my favorites too because again uh he 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 was a communicator and changed people's lives by communicating. Mm, powerful. Sean O'Neill. By the way, movie guru. A little bit. You know, you've seen every one of these movies. Um, not, no, not all of them. But okay. I do remember. I See, I remember Mork and Mindy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. I still remember watching. I, I mean, that was one of my favorite shows. Remember that little egg thing he yeah, came he talked to it. Yeah, it was his mothership or something. You go and yeah. talk to yeah. Orson at the yes. end of every show. <laughs> yeah. Tell him what he learned about. Human society, <laughs> and then I always give his little nanu nanu. He didn't he quit and the Juilliard? rainbow suspenders. Well, oh yeah, I'm you remember sorry. that? Anyway. Yeah, the rainbow in his suspenders. Stand, in his stand-up act, he had the rainbow suspenders uh-huh. on all the time. Yeah, that became his persona. Mm-hmm. But that also, when you hear some of the clips from a lot of his work, you can just hear him going off. You know how he just gets on television and just goes off yes. on a tangent. Mm-hmm. And it's good, and they you can almost hear that they keep it. So um, Aladdin, yes, you'll hear him just go off. Well, that's uh, Laddie. He makes a joke about Laddie, and then you're going to hear that in just a minute. Actually, that's a part of our montage. But we were also listening to something when we were making up this montage of uh, Robin Williams clips that they gave him. They he gave Disney so much to work with. Yeah, they couldn't use uh, use it all. So it was it was just amazing. Yeah. What what a talent he was. Yeah, we and we're, we My favorite we're Robin Williams him. movie is still Patch Adams. Oh, I oh, love uh-huh. Patch Adams. Patch Adams. We have a quote from Patch Adams in the, in this montage as well. Okay. Um in fact, what we're going to do, we're going to we'll listen to the montage. We're going to end the show with it because the quote at the end of the montage is just it's it's Robin Williams personified at his best. At his best. Uh we're going to hear a quote from Aladdin, okay. a little uh, monologue and then uh, a little de- missed out fire. And then uh, we'll return to Aladdin for his singing. Yeah. And then from there, we have some something from Hook that James will uh, will really like. Then uh, a quote from Patch Adams about death, actually. And the last quote that we have from him is from Inside the Actor's Studio. 
Um, James Lipton always asks everybody the same last questions in his uh, interview on that show. And the last question, well, you'll hear James Lipton say what the last question is, and I just think it's appropriate for today. 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. Hang on a second. Whoa! Does it feel good to be out of there? I'm telling you, nice to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, where are you from? What's your name? Uh, uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you on the show. Can we call you Al? Or maybe just Din? Or how about Lottie? Sounds like... Here, boy. Come on, Lottie. Miss Hillard? The water's boiling. Hello! Well, Alibaba had them 40 thieves. Sherry's out, he had a thousand tails. But master, you in luck, cause pull up your sleeves. You got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now. Some heavy ammunition in your camp. You got some punch to dance. Job you and house, all you gotta do is rub that lamp. And I'll say, Mr. Alanza, what will your pleasure be? Let me take your order, jot it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. <laughs> Two-toned, zebra-headed, slime-coated, pimple-farming, paramecium-brained, munching on your own mucus, suffering from Peter Pan envy. What's a paramecium brain? I'll tell you what a paramecium is. That's a paramecium. It's a one-celled critter with no brain that can't fly. Don't mess with me, man. I'm a lawyer. Why can't we treat death with a certain amount of humanity and dignity and decency and maybe even humor? Death is not the enemy, gentlemen. If we're going to fight a disease, let's fight one of the most terrible diseases of all, indifference. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? There's seating near the front. (laughs) (laughs) The the concert begins at five. It'll be Mozart, Elvis, and uh, one of your choosing. Or or just a nice, if heaven exists, to know that there's laughter. That would be a great thing. Oh, yeah. Just to hear God goes, two Jews walk into a bar. (laughs)